podcast is brought to you in association with the Proper Blokes Club and hashtag let us talk mental health. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 16 of the Football Funders podcast. My name is Dan, I'm alongside Ryan this evening. Hello Ryan. How are we doing? Uh, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. Pete is once again skiving, so we'll have to give him detention at a later date. And to any listeners who hear loud bangs, don't worry, me and Dan aren't shooting each other due to poor football opinions. It's Guy Fawkes Night here in the UK. It's a national holiday to uh, celebrate some really dodgy stuff by letting off fireworks. So let's jump in, Dan. <laughs> so we're going to jump in to the Tottenham debate, as I previously mentioned. Uh, well, it's not really a debate, is it? They moved on from Nuno and they've replaced him with Antonio Conte. So Ryan, we'll start with the departure of Nuno. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, it's a bit of a weird one, this one, to be honest. He wasn't anybody's first choice by the sounds of things, by any stretch of the imagination. I was one of the people who actually thought that he might actually make Spurs a little bit more solid defensively and improve them a little bit. He might have been sort of a dark horse of an appointment, really. You know, nobody expected him to do well and then he'd pull it out the bag. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if it was... Him directly and the players just didn't buy into his methods and his tactics or whether there is just such a malaise over the Tottenham squad after dealing with someone with the ego of Mourinho and then having essentially what is, I've been told, Mourinho light in, in Nuno. So uh, I'm a bit shocked that they, they, they never really gave him the chance to make any, any real significance he had 17 games overall 10 in the league I don't know what you expect a new manager to do in 10 games in the league really I think um, you know I, I think they, as you rightly said wrong decision to begin with shouldn't have been appointed uh, I know they were having issues with like, who they could have appointed and who was around but for, for me it wasn't one that made sense um, but the the thing that worries me, the alarming fact for me, watching Nuno and looking at the statistics of his time at Spurs, they were just dull. And whether it's him or whether it's the players they've got, problems of Harry Kane and off-field issues, I guess we'll see in the coming weeks and months with Antonio Conte. But they're they've got they can't they're not even averaging a goal a game. I think they attempt nine shots with four on target. Um, they concede almost one point eight goals a game. Uh, Mourinho's statistics are you know, better across the board than under Nuno and Mourinho was classed as a failure. I like that Tottenham have done it after 10 games just from the basis that, yes, you are right, really, it's not enough time. But if you're going to make a decision, make it now. You've still got 28 games to change your season. After 10 games, you you have a base, whether it's good or bad, you have time to, to change it. And historically, when you change your manager at this kind of time of year, you will turn it around or have the opportunity to turn it around you have that time for the new manager to come in, settle, also have a transfer window and try and push on. But I think Tottenham are, you know, they need a rebuild, don't they, really? They've needed a rebuild since Pochettino left. Let's be honest. That's the reason why Pochettino left. Not because he wasn't doing well. He said after that Champions League final that I need to rebuild this team now. I need more money, more injection into the squad. People have likened Nuno's work. Uh, he started off very well at Wolves and he managed to build something successful. So I think he's proved that he can build something. But I think what is l- lacking at Spurs is essentially the midfield that the Wolves had. They went out and they signed some truly world-class midfielders and put them in the championship of all places. 
Neves and Coutinho compared to Oliver Skip and Hoiberg. It's just, it, there's no contest in the level of quality, in the level of creativity. And I think that's what that Spurs squad really lacks. They've got plenty of holding midfielders by the looks of things. Deli Alley's, wow. I mean, what's happened to him? Three or four years ago, he was England's golden boy. And now he's hardly even getting a cup game. So they've always needed a second option to Harry Kane. I don't think they've got anything creative in midfield anymore. And they've brought in a, a winner, but I'm not sure what he's going to win with the squad he's got. They're going to need to back Antonio Conte, the new manager, heavily in the next two transfer windows to even try and win a cup in the next year or two. My big thing when building or looking at football, and again, I'll say it and people will laugh, when I build a team on Football Manager... <laughs> I want to make sure, and I, and I generally believe this is true in football. I want my back line, my defence and my goalkeeper to be solid and then I'll deal with the rest of the pitch as we get up there. Nuno's back line at Spurs, I mean, it's not his fault. They were woeful before. But when you're trusting, I like Tanganga. He's a centre-back at right back. You decided not to play to Lumi from Morier and Doherty. Um, Eric Dier is a footballer, apparently, but also plays centre-back. Davidson Sanchez, and I, I'm not... Uh, who's their left wing-back? Uh, Sergio Reguillon? Ben Davis. I like Reguillon. Ben Davis is... Uh, no, not for me. Uh, that's not a top four. And I think Hugo Lloris has also passed well past his best. Still think he's a, he's a good to OK keeper, but not anywhere near where he was. And as I said, that's, for me, how you build a successful football club is you start with, with that base and then you work through the midfield and the strike force. Their goals per game conceding is the worst it's been since Glenn Hoddle was manager. It's really bad. But like you said, you look at that defence. I mean, starting at the goalkeeper, he's way past his best, has been for several years. I think he's now about 35, 36, if I'm right. I know we've seen legends in the past like Van der Sar and... Peter Cech, for example, go on and perform into their late 30s, early 40s. But he's never been on their level, let's be honest. I know he's been in the France team for many years, but he's never been on their level. Matt Doherty is the one that really confused me because I thought he was amazing at Wolves. He was scoring goals. He was a fantastic attacking right back. And then for some reason, they signed him, haven't used him. And then when Nuno came in, I thought, OK, he played for him at Wolves. So now's his time. He's still nowhere to be seen. It's the same with Harry Winks and the same with Deli Alley. I like Harry Winks. I actually think he's a much better player than people give him credit for. But these three are nowhere to be found. It's almost like the Danny Rose situation all over again, where they just would not play him. I know Danny Rose was much more outspoken than these other three players. But there's just something not right at that whole club. They've got the stadium now. They've got the training ground in a weird, this is a very weird analogy, but go with me. It's essentially the situation at Tottenham is essentially you've built a brand new house with a fantastic back garden with a pool in it and everything. And then you're going to fill it up with your grandmother's furniture. That's the <laughs> easiest way I can describe it because you've got all these players. Eric Dier crapped the bed a long time ago when he was still playing in midfield. I mean, at one time he was England's holding midfielder of choice. And now for some reason he's playing at centre back. 
uh, for Tottenham. That one baffles me completely. I, I, I think Tottenham should have sold him when he lost the plot under Pochettino. Davidson Sanchez, I've never rated. Everyone's been raving about him, saying how fantastic he is and what a great young talent he is and what he'll end up becoming. I don't think they've had a decent centre-back pairing since the two Belgians. It was Aldeveld and... I always Jan get Vertonghen. the other one wrong. Is it Jan Vertonghen? Because yeah. I Jan always Vertonghen. Mixed, always mixed him up with Thomas Vermaelen, who was at Arsenal and Barcelona, I think. So I think, like you said, I think there is major surgery to be done. I like Emerson Royal, who's come in and seems to have done all right. So I think between him and Doherty, they're covered at right back. Left back, I think Ben Davis is an adequate defensive fullback in comparison to the attacking Sergio Reguilon. Other than that, I think besides Son and Kane and Mora, I think everybody else is at risk of maybe being shipped out and new players brought in. Yeah, I, um, I'd even put more on the list of players that maybe I'd have as a squad player, but I wouldn't want him on my starting eleven every game. Again, as you rightly just pointed out, you know they don't have any player, and I like your analogy; it's fantastic. They don't have any players that, well, outside of Kane and, and Son, for me personally, that I look at and go, "You're going to make a difference in this guy." I like Ndombele, but from what accounts over the summer, he doesn't want to be there, so. He probably is going to go in January. And then the other midfield options are what? Harry Winks, Overskip, Pierre Hoiberg. I like Harry Winks. I think he's a good little player. But for where Tottenham's ambitions are, I don't think he fits in. I think the other thing that boggles my mind is some of the decisions they've made, like signing Ryan Sessegnon, who was a hot young prospect from Fulham. And we've not seen him since. He was loaned out here, loaned out there. And then they did exactly the same thing. I think his name's Jack Clark from Leeds. He was signed, who was supposed to be the next hot thing. And we haven't seen him either. So they're signing hot talent, not using it. And then they're buying bang average players. Everyone raves about Hoiberg and how good he was under Mourinho. I don't think he's that good. Oliver Skip's been on loan here, there and everywhere and come in and I've not been impressed. Deli Ali, as we've said, has, has crapped the bed. Harry Winks, I think, has slept with the chairman's daughter or something because they just do not want to play him at all. So I think there's a massive rebuild, not only in the first team, but in the squad in general. The club in general, really. Yeah, I mean, even the players you'd like to come to my mind, when you look at their signings in recent, Brian Hill from this transfer window, they swapped him with Lamella. Not really seen much from him. I'm not a Giovanni Lo Celso fan. I think he's... Someone who flourishes in Spain, but not necessarily in this country. Stephen Bergwijn is lesser version of Memphis Depay. And I don't rate Memphis that highly either. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of work for Tottenham. And I'm not sure Conte's the man. I think he might have been the man to replace Pochettino and have a go, maybe. Now you need to restrip. I think the thing that worries me with Antonio Conte, he's he's just as abrasive as Mourinho. So... I think the only thing going in his favour is that he's been winning things. So the players might say, OK, we've got a winner here, as opposed to the Mourinho who's been on his way down for several years in terms of his management impact. They've got the sporting director in place who's a good friend of Conte. So I, if I look at it, I think it looks like Daniel Levy's going to take a step back and leave these two to build something for the next 18 months. I'd expect him to be there longer than 18 months. I think that's purely just a deal to cover their rear ends just in case it does all go peak tong. 
and they don't have to uh, fork out a small fortune because if the figures I've read correctly is Nuno has just been sacked and been given 14 million pounds for the privilege which is great work if you can do it four months worth of work for 14 million quid I'll take that job I just think it's going to be interesting to see how much Tottenham spend because they've been saving the pennies for the stadium and the training ground so if they want to really get somewhere they're really going to have to unleash the purse strings because Conte is going to want it it's the reason he left Inter he was happy at Inter Milan until they said you've got no more money coming and we're selling a couple of your best players as well and he was gone so it could be a marriage made in hell like Mourinho was to quote Simon Jordan or if the players knuckle down it could work I think it'll be very good for Harry Kane because Harry Kane flourished under Mourinho so I think because he, Mourinho and Conte are quite similar in terms of discipline, I think it might actually bring Harry Kane out of his slump. I'm not sure how players like Undombele, who have been rumoured to have really dodgy attitudes, will cope with someone as strict as Conte. I mean, I don't know if you've heard the interview in, in the media, but apparently it's like, if they don't play for me, I, I'll just kill them. So it's... Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think Tottenham are going to win anything this year, but it will be interesting to see what happens. I would like to put on record right now, and because then we can come back in January, and, and I'm assuming I'm going to be right. Victor Moses will sign for Tottenham in the January transfer window. So look forward to that, Tottenham fans. He's done okay in Turkey, but he's coming back to England. So enjoy watching him going down the right wing. Can't defend, but he puts in some decent crosses. <laughs> So I think we've covered Tottenham there. Yep. So we'll move on to the other managerial decision. It looks like Newcastle were about to hire Eddie Howe on a two and a half year deal. Obviously, we discussed this on the previous podcast. I think the last two. This has been going on a while. It looks like they finally settled after changing their mind about 15 times. I think maybe the one of the best options out there when you don't want to go too hard looking for the top player now when you've got so much work to do, what do you think? Let's be honest, I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to cut any mustard with this. This has been a complete shit show from the minute they took over. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. We've heard several names linked. Every name that's linked has basically turned them down. We heard rumours, I think it was yesterday, that they were going to sign Unai Emery. And then Unai Emery comes out on Twitter and wherever else it was and says, no, I'm staying where I am. We spoke on last week's pod about them needing a director of football. And this has just proved that they have got no one with any sort of experience running things at that club when it comes to football. This has been an absolute shit show. We're getting him. No, we're not. We're getting him. No, we're not. We're getting him. No, we're not. Okay, eighth choice. This could potentially be Nuno Espirito Santo all over again. Eddie Howe is the bottom of the list. Is all they could get. And we don't even know if they're going to get him yet because he turned down Celtic. Let's not forget we talked about that as well. Big job up north. He didn't want it. So what's to say that he's going to want the Newcastle job now? Well, from the sources that I've seen suggest, fairly confident that it's going to be Eddie Howe. The deal looks done, if you believe, for Rizzo Romano. Someone that I've said before, I believe, uh, with mo- a lot of his stuff turns out to be right. And um, For me, I, I mean, I'm not sure Eddie Howe was the right appointment if it is does turn out to be correct but I think it was even if as you said it a long way around getting it 
I think you don't want to go too quick to a major announcement or a major manager because there's a lot of work to be done. If you say like Unai Emery decides I'm going to come to Newcastle, you've got seven months left of a season with a championship squad. Yes, you've got a transfer window, but every team's going to pump their prices up. Every team's going to want you to pay a silly amount. So, you know, I don't think this is the worst appointment. I'm struggling to think of someone else that I'd maybe look for. We discussed before. I don't want. I don't personally believe Lampard is at the level, and I think it's a shrewd move to not try and get a big name straight away. And, and obviously, big names are obviously like Unai Emery turned it down, as, as I've said. So, I'm intrigued to see what happens if he comes in. Does he get a bounce out of these players? Callum Wilson coming back to his former manager. Does he? kind of refine his goal-scoring form. And um, yeah, and then obviously January, how much are they going to let Eddie spend and let him go? Because I don't think this time, two years, Eddie Howe's going to be the Newcastle manager, whether he is successful or not. I think this appointment shows that the board, for all of their many, many failures thus far, have accepted that they're going to go down this year. So I think they've now planned for the club to go down. So they signed Eddie Howe, let Eddie Howe sort out the squad in the championship. It also takes the media pressure off because right now they've got all this rumoured so much money. And by the way, Newcastle fans that are listening to this, sorry to disappoint you, you don't have 320 billion quid to spend. You just don't. You'll be lucky if you get a billion. Yeah, so them going down will take the, the media pressure off. It will allow Eddie Howe to sort out that squad, buy some decent players that can cut it at Premier League level and the top of the championship come back up the following year. And during the meantime, the club, if they've got any brains about them, they'll sort out the stadium because it, I've been told Mike Ashley just basically the maintenance wasn't upkept and it's in a bit of a state now. And They've already started working on it. Well, good for them. And they're going to need to do the same for the training ground because I've heard that's not very good. And they're going to have, need to heavily invest in their youth system because that's been neglected for years. So I would expect them, I think they've prepared to go down. I think it's wise that they have Because that squad, even if you get four or five really good players in, we've talked previously, I can't remember if it was on the pod, but I mentioned like getting someone like Joe Gomez from Liverpool on loan for the rest of the season. They're going to need players of that calibre that can't quite get into teams at the moment to come in and pull up trees. But the way they're performing at the moment, they're going to be pretty close to Norwich come Christmas I reckon by February, I'd say probably both Newcastle and Norwich will be relegated. It's a bold statement. But listen, I think January, you're right. Look for the signings like a Joe Gomez or a Maitland-Niles. People at those teams that aren't getting that game time because the squad needs every bit of help it can. John Joe Shelby is not a Premier League player. Isaac Hayden is not a Premier League player. Federico Fernandez at the back is not a Premier League player. The squad needs an overhaul. And, and I actually think it would be, a, you know, not a good thing per se, but if they go down, it's a complete fresh start. It worked to a lesser descent with Rafa, didn't have the money to spend, but Rafa went down, rebuilt it and came back up. It's a chance for Eddie to do the same. He'll have better backing than Rafa too. The only problem is if they go down to the championship, full expectations will be on Eddie to go back up. So yeah, I I mean, I personally think Rafa Benitez will manage Newcastle again at some point. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in a year or two, but yeah, Eddie Howe, I'm not against the appointment just on the basis that I don't see there being many other options right now. I'm not against the appointment. It's the appointment that makes the most sense. 
I personally still would have suggested this before. I can't remember if it was on the pod. I would have gone for John Terry. First job, no expectation, knows how to defend. I think the problems at Aston Villa recently have been in part due to the fact that John Terry and another member of staff have left. I would have gone for a young coach with someone that they could have backed for a couple of years. That's, I suppose that's kind of what they've got with Eddie Howe. Just looking at that squad, with, with, with the exception of Sim Maximan, Wilson when he's fit, Dubravka I kind of like as a goalkeeper. I'm not sure if he's fit or in the squad at the moment. Um, I mean, he's fit. He's just not playing. They've been playing... Um... Is it Darlow? Oh, Carl Darlow, yeah. Besides those three, I don't think they've got anyone that's going to pull up trees. I don't know of any hot young prospects coming through. They've got no real saleable assets as well in terms of raising transfer funds. Because the other thing we don't know is for all the money that this new board uh, claim to have is how much they're actually willing to give a manager in January that is probably going to go down and come back, have to try and come back up again the next season. So it's been a disaster from start to finish. I think they've gone about it completely the wrong way. If, if I was them, I think the, I probably would, this may sound a bit weird, but I think I probably would have brought in someone like Roy Hodgson as director of football just to stabilise things for six months and get Eddie Howe or someone like that over the line. And then you can get some, a, a proper director of football in during the summer. It's been a shit show. And just a shout out to Steve Bruce, because I know the Newcastle fans didn't like him, but his, his, his record compared to Rafa's, is, I think is even slightly better, maybe only just, but it might be just slightly better. So he didn't do a bad job by any means, especially compared to what he was given because Mike Ashley basically didn't give him a pot to piss in. So he's, he's did and the apart best from Joe Linton. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even you look at the big signings they did make someone like Joe Linton, I think they paid about 40 million quid for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, whoever he, where did he come from? Germany or somewhere like that? Uh, Hoffenheim. They must've been laughing their ass off when, when they got 40 million quid for him. He's rubbish. Well, he scored for fun in Germany. I don't know why people saw him play for Newcastle. I remember him scoring against Spurs quite early on in the season. And everyone thinking, oh, he's got it here. And uh, yeah, just um, I, I would call him that wasn't close. I would call him the Benteke of Newcastle, but Benteke actually scores goals now. So I can't even say that. Just to go back onto a, a stat, Rafa Benitez's uh, win percentage is much higher than Steve Bruce's. <laughs> but uh, to be fair, the end of season result in the league, I think they're identical or if not, they got slightly higher with him. They did one season, didn't they? I mean, his first season, didn't they? I think they finished higher. I think, I think Steve Bruce got St- Steve a lot Bruce of was, Steve Bruce was hated from the minute, and I get why. He was hated from the moment he was in, employed and he was never going to be given that chance. So whatever he did, even if he would have got them finishing top half of the table, Newcastle fans wanted him gone. It, the results were irrelevant, really. So, um, yeah, I think we touched on Newcastle. So we'll move on to our next topic, which is one that Ryan doesn't know about. So we're going to go through it and we'll discuss it. England, the England squad came out for this month's friendlies with San Marino and Albania, Albania behind closed doors at Wembley. No real shocks in the England squad. But before we get on to the subject that I have in mind, uh, Ryan, you broke the news to me earlier on that England have had three players decide that they don't want to feature for England for 
this set of games and some more. So if I'm correct, Callum Hudson Odoi has walked away from under 21's squad. Yep. Mason Greenwood has asked not to be selected till next season. Yep. And Jude Bellingham has been asked to be left out of D's World Cup qualifiers. The the one with Jude Bellingham, it was the previous World Cup qualifiers, which is why he wasn't in the squad. First off, just a quick comment, because I'm not gonna we aren't gonna go too much into the England squad. There's there's no point. Just to say that this current England squad just proves that A, Gareth Southgate lacks any imagination because there's not much change in there at all. And B, that his media persona of I'm picking players on form is complete bullshit. (laughs) Absolute bullshit. I mean, Harry Maguire, I'll stick up for Harry Maguire. He's nowhere near fit, but he shouldn't be playing because he's not fit and not in form. It's as simple as that. Tyrone Mings has just been dropped by Aston Villa because he's not been playing well. But anyway, going on to the, the subject, Mason Greenwood has asked not to be selected until next year. There are, from what I'm hearing coming out of Old Trafford, there are concerns about Mason Greenwood's ability to handle pressure. And he believes, and his family believe, that if he goes and plays for England, there will be even more pressure on him and he may not cope with it. That is just what I'm hearing. That is not reported. That is not confirmed by press sources or uh, his family or himself. But there are rumoured concerns within Old Trafford, within the England team, that he's not quite mature enough to play for England yet. And Gareth Southgate said in his press conference the other day that they have like said that we've spoken to him and his family and, the club, and, and Manchester United and they're going to leave him out. I don't really have an issue with that. I actually think it's actually really smart because we've seen so many young players beforehand chucked in at the deep end, haven't been able to cut it or been burnt out. Like someone like Michael Owen for something ruined his body because he played so much football so young. So I actually applaud this approach. I know a lot of people won't agree with me, but I actually think this is incredibly smart management of a player. Jude Bellingham is 18 years old. He's only been playing professional football for two years at a high level because obviously he was in the Birmingham team at the age of 16. No, no, he's been playing two years. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, he's been playing two years. Uh, He's had a hell of a two years as well. He went from Birmingham to Borussia Dortmund to the Champions League, uh, to the Bundesliga. He's been tearing it up. He's 18 years old and he just apparently he just said, look, can I have a break? I've been running hot for about two years. I'm exhausted. I need a break. And we've got to look after our young kids. We can't burn them out. Not every young kid is a Wayne Rooney who's built like an animal uh, and just runs like an ox and and, and all that strength. And so I think you've got to look after them. So for that one, I've got no issue with. Callum Hudson-Odoi, I have a slight issue with. This one smacks to me of I'm too big to play for the under twenty one. So I don't like that. I I think that's wrong. He's been in and out of the Chelsea side. He did have an injury. He's been played out of position a lot. He was played as a a wing back at the start of the season. I have some sympathy for him because his career has been a bit stop-start. Everything was expected of him. He's now been moved into his proper position and he's playing very well. But to turn around and say, no, I'm not going to go and play for the under-21s when I've got a call-up, is I think a bit too egotistical for me. I don't actually care too much for 
international football, as we've discussed before, I, I just think it's a, it, it's much ado about nothing because of no, players playing for different countries that aren't even there countries but i think if, if you're called up unless you've got a legitimate reason not to go you go yeah yeah so again when you first see the headlines obviously media right my my thought was well if they don't want to play for their country then stuff them we just don't select them but when i read the stuff i completely agree about mason greenwood brilliant decision you've got to look after the well-being of the footballer before you think about the football if mason greenwood needs that time to acclimatise, when he's ready, he will play for England. There's no doubt about that. There will be a day when Mason Greenwood is ready and he'll start games for England. If that's in four years' time, it's in four years' time. If it's next year, it's next year. He probably now probably won't be at the World Cup in the end of next year. But um, the Euros in three years' time, I'm sure he'll be on that plane to Germany in the squad. So, yeah, that and Jude Bellingham, absolutely no problem with. Callum hudson Adore again, as you said correctly, his head is so far up his own ass. Just go and play for England. If he came out and, as, as Richard said, came up with the the reasoning that Mason Greenwood is young and he wants to keep, that's fine. You're doing this because you want to play for England's first team. If you're that bothered, you've been asked to go and play for. Is it Ghana? I think that approached him. I think so. Yeah. Go on then. Off you go. Because you're turning them down every international roundup. Every time they say, "Oh, do you want to play for us?" You go, "No, I want to play for England." Then you turn down England under-21s. I'm not being funny. Your time will come. I'm sure he's talented. His time will come. You have to do your due diligence. You have to wait your turn. And I think one other thing I will just point out is when it comes to Jude Bellingham, I, th- I think it's sensible to give him a rest also because it's not like he's a first-team starter. He's an 18-year-old who often travels with the squad, might get the occasional 10 minutes, but that's all he gets. So if you're not really going to use him, let him stay at home. Let him have a rest. Let him train and develop his skills on the training pitch. It stops another 18-year-old travelling halfway around the world with COVID restrictions in place as well. I think it just makes good sense to leave an 18-year-old at home every now and then rather than do what we've always done in this country, which is as soon as a hot thing comes along, no matter how old he is, oh, he's got to be in the first team of England. The the only thing I'd say is, ironically, the the two games that that we're playing this round, I guess you'd call it, are probably two games that Jude Bellingham would have seen good game time in. But, uh, oh, he's in the squad for this one, isn't he? It was the last one, wasn't it? He's yeah, in the squad. Yeah, but you say that. I mean, how often has Gareth Southgate made significant changes and, you know... Well, he's... we basically played two different teams the last set of games. I know, but they still weren't... So, we probably I mean? will see two, di- if not two different different sides. We're playing Havane at Wembley and then we're in San Marino. I imagine we'll see the first string or the first choice to Levin in Albania, and then a mixture or a complete change for the San Marino game. So Jude, for this game, will probably see game time. Also, the other thing to remember that people probably forget is for the last year and a half, no, a year, we've had to catch up on international games. So they've been playing three games in six, seven days. It's, it's not good for, as you said, an 18, you're going to burn him out. Uh, I know in, in the Football League, I don't know if it's in the Premier League, but there's a rule about how many minutes People under the age of 19 can play during a month, so they're not they're not allowed to play over. Because I remember a few years back, Charlton weren't allowed to play Lookman for one of the games because he'd had his quota of minutes. They're not allowed to go over the amount of minutes in the month. So, that, you know, I don't know if that's a thing in the international world, but I guess that's to be considered. And as you said, we don't want to rush Greenwood and Bellingham 
into the squad when they're not maybe as you said not first teamers right now but in five years time probably both going to be two of if not the best one of the best players that we have and we're going to need the pair of them so on to the original topic if you are a stats man i'm a bit of a stats man uh, who scored uh, a website that they keep track of the stats and they grade every player after every game based on you know his passing blah 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 each position has their own ratings uh, you can go and click on individual players see what they think they're good at and bad at based off statistics they had a best England 11 rated purely off their overall ratings and these only people that play from the top five leagues in this season. So in goal, Aaron Ramsdale in the England squad, I believe this time round. Yep. Rightly so, in my opinion. And about you, Ryan? I think right now he's probably England's best goalkeeper that we've seen this season. I think oh, the other thing is, is I think first when it comes to Ramsdale, we talked about him previously on the pod and we were confused as to why Arsenal had spent £24 million on a backup goalkeeper. Turns out he wasn't going to be the backup after all. And to be fair, after a little bit of a dodgy start, he's been performing wonders. So for me, I'd start in both games. I think he thoroughly deserves to be there, stats or no stats. Yeah, I have a feeling he'll start one of them, maybe the game in San Marino. Uh, so he scores an average 7.06 rating. Our wing-backs uh, are two people that do currently have squats in the England squad. Ben Chilwell on the left averages 7.74. Trent Alexander-Arnold with a 7.70. Uh, Luke Shaw, I assume, will start left-back for England. But Chilwell and Alexander-Arnold, not, they don't surprise me that they're two of the best performers that, that are English. I think they both play and do very well for their clubs in their specific roles. I'm not sure how they both fit maybe into the England dynamic as well as they do for their clubs? I think Ben Chilwell is fine in the England dynamic because he's as good going forwards as he is going backwards. And his stats are so high because I think he's scored four in the last five games he's played for Chelsea. So from an attacking point of view, I can see why both players he scored are in for there. England as well, didn't he? Am yes. I like that recently? I think he did. You're right. Uh, so from an attacking point of view, they both... Their stats for me might mislead a bit because they've been so influential going forwards. I would be more interested to see their defensive stats as well because I think if you pay Trent Alexander-Arnold, for me, I don't think he's a, a fullback in any shape of the word. He, the only way I can describe him is he's some sort of deep-lying winger playmaker. He, he's, he's not really a fullback. I mean, they tried to play him in midfield because he's so good with the ball. But I, I'm not. I'd like to see his defensive stats because I don't think they'd be as good as his attacking stats. But there's no doubt they both deserve to be in the England squad and probably start in the team, considering the quality of opposition we're playing. I think Trent's more than likely to start. So into the centre back role. Now we'll start with one who I hoped. I know it's unrealistic because, as we said, Southgate has the club mentality that I hoped given the nature of the games we were playing, we'd see this man. Trevor Chalabar has a 7.56 average rating. He's been fantastic for Chelsea. Surely he was under consideration for the England squad. If I was a manager, I definitely would have considered him. And I'm not overly surprised that he's one of the two best English centre-backs. I'm not. He's come from nowhere and he's been absolutely sensational. He's making some of the players around him look even better as well. Christiansen seems to be on fire next to him. And he's been dodgy for years. And Rudiger finally seems to have woken up and been returned to the squad after being left out by Frank Lampard. He's definitely there. 
Can I guess the other centre half? Is it Fakayo Tomori by any chance? It's not. So, so Fakayo Tomori not. does okay. get an honourable mention. He scores a 7.0, but he's beaten out by Reese Oxford of Augsburg in the German Bundesliga, who averages 7.02. Uh, the former West Ham kid. Reese Oxford, the former West Ham kid, is. Uh, was at West Ham and kind of loaned out, expected to be a bid thing. I think went to Borussia Mönchengladbach, had, had some injuries. He's been a very, very big part of Augsburg's season this year. They've surprised a few teams. He plays centre-back and he's been there, their brick wall. I was reading um, an article where they basically said that without him, you know, they, they are struggling in the league, but without him, you know, they'd be shit, up shit stream without no paddle. And he's kind of the reason that they've been fighting this season. They're only a little club, Augsburg. We, I actually saw them live. But Reese Oxford, yeah, uh, has been, they've been singing his praises, the, the young lad. He was someone that I think was predicted really big things. But I've only seen him play a few times. At, you know, I catch Bundesliga and Augsburg aren't a team that are always on TV. But from what I read and I read, um, he's highly, highly liked in Germany. And I think there's a few surprises that he's not in and around the England squad. But I don't think either of us can say too much on that one, can we? Yeah, Reese Oxford, there was a lot expected of him from a really young age. I think he broke into the West Ham team when he was about 17, 18, I think. People were comparing him to Rio Ferdinand and the like. I didn't even realise he was still around, to be honest, because I heard there was a few rumours going around about his attitude being an issue. And so I'm, I'm surprised. I thought he'd just fallen into obscurity. So... Good on him. I, I don't know what else to say, really, because I haven't followed his career. So, fair play to the lad. Good on you. I, I hope he ends up coming back to the Premier League and proving that he was the talent that everyone thought he was. Yeah, so uh, on to the midfield three. This, all three of these names are two of them already in the England squad, and one is I know that we've trumpeted a lot on, on this podcast. So, Declan Rice comes in at a 7.54. That man is having one hell of a season for West Ham. He really is a fantastic footballer. Even I think he's played every game, including their Europa League games around Europe. What a star. We've touched on Jude Bellingham. He makes the list with a 7.39. And the other one, can you guess, Ryan? I'm going to guess Conor Gallagher. Yes, Conor Gallagher with a 7.38. Much as I hate to say it, anyone doing well at Crystal Palace. But I still even, I get a little bit of a smile when I see that Conor Gallagher has scored. I said last year when he was at West Brom, watch this kid. I get a lot of people that said to me when I said Conor Gallagher's good, go, oh, yeah, but you're trolling this shit. Listen, you can see a player who is that much above the rest of his teammates. You know he's going to be a player. Joe Gomez was the same. You could even tell Lookman was a step above and Gallagher is above. In my opinion, was better than I think Gallagher's the best player I've seen in a Cholmcher in recent decades, going back to probably Scott Parker. So, yeah, I, again, this is the perfect opportunity. You're, you're, you're basically through. You need a point out of Albania and San Marino to qualify. This is where you call up Conor Gallagher, Trevor Chalabar, and have a look at these players because you're not going to use them when you're, having a, you know, when you're playing a game that's important like Poland last month. This is your opportunity to look at them. I know you're not going to learn much because San Marino are crap, but this is your opportunity to see him around the group, see what he trains like, see what his, find out what his personality is like firsthand. If we lined up, played Albania and we lined up Rice, Bellingham, Gallagher. I wouldn't have a problem with that. That's a hell of a midfield in terms of talent. <laughs> I think I, I said on one of the podcasts when we were talking previously about who 
we wanted to see this year in the Premier League. And I said that I wanted to keep an eye on Declan Rice because he did so well. He's just gone to another level. He really has. He's gone from being defensively imperious, for, for want of a better word, to now he's striding forwards into midfield with the ball. He's in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 yard passes. Like he's Paul's goals. It, it's insane. And then you've got someone with like the energy and the enthusiasm and the finishing ability of Conor Gallagher. I've been really impressed with his finishing. He's very, very good. And then Jude Bellinger, who's a little bit of everything. So I'm surprised Conor Gallagher... Well, I am surprised and I'm not surprised. I think I'm not surprised because Gareth Southgate's got his mates and he wants to keep them in there. But I am surprised that he's not there because he deserves to be there. I assume he's of the under-21s, but has to be, for my opinion, as you just said, has to be in with the first team, especially as the point I've just made about this is your opportunity. But... I mean, actually, I said about if they lined up against Albania, I'd quite willingly watch Declan Rice, Gallagher and Bellingham play against anyone, I think, just to see what they'd get up to. In about two or three years, that midfield, if they keep progressing the way all three of them are, in two or three years' time, that midfield is going to be something worth watching. It really would. Yeah, um, it'd be really fun. That, and I think so far, the defence is OK. That midfield three could genuinely be our future. So it's good to see that they are, they're grading out well. The, the forward line is, so I looked at his names and thought this is probably the most underwhelming part of the, of the line. So on the wings, one really surprised me. Jared Bowen at West Ham has had a very good season. He is the, one of the wingers. He averages a 7.42, which is actually really good. So he's having a really good year for West Ham. You know, West Ham, we've spoken about West Ham needing to get players in around Antonio, both Bowen and Saeed Ben Ram have done really well with that. So I'm not really shocked. Not sure he's that level for England. However, I mean, statistically grading well. He's an option I didn't realise we would have. I actually thought he was Welsh. So that one's news on me. Uh, maybe it was his surname that, that threw me a little bit. He's done very well. He's had a bit of a mix of a career because I remember him coming through. Was it at Cardiff? Was it Cardiff? Oh, no. Oh. Well, he came through at Gateshead, technically, but played for Hull. He played for Hull and he came in as a striker at Hull and then they chucked him out on the wing. And then he went back up front and then West Ham bought him and they chucked him on the wing. And now he's back playing up front again. So he's an option, but I think... I don't know if it's because of who he is or who he plays for. I could see his career going in the same way of Aaron Cresswell, of, of having a very good pr- Premier League career but maybe not getting the, the England cap that he deserves. But there's still plenty he, of time for, for Bowen, so I could be wrong. He's another one that I saw play for Hull um, and thought, you're the best player on this pitch. Well, Conor Gallagher was probably on that pitch too, given the time we with them. So probably the second best player on the pitch. Third, Darren Prattley was playing. So, yeah, but uh, he made the move and it's worked well for him. On the left, this one surprised me. Dwight McNeil of Burnley. As average seven point three three. I didn't realise that Burnley had any players that were playing, were playing, let alone playing well. I love him. I think he's great. He's very weird to look at because normally when you think wingers, you think young, athletic, really fast, and he's not really any of those things in an odd way. He's quite tall, quite gangly, but his touch is very good. His technique is very good. I'm surprised that. Someone like an Aston Villa or something didn't look at him 
when they lost Jack Grealish and bought from abroad instead. I think he's massively underrated. I think he's very similar to Harvey Barnes in, in terms of very good English young talent who's just not getting the recognition that I think they he's deserve. He's at Burnley. He will never get it, will he? He plays for Burnley. He needs to, he's too good for Burnley. When Burnley go down, I trust me, I think he'll leave. Uh, and the striker, I'll let you guess who the striker is, see if you can work it out. English striker currently that's in exceptional he's, form. He's in the Premier League. Well, maybe not exceptional form, but has the, be- the best graded. Is it Mason Greenwood? No, it's Ivan Tony. Seven point. Three six, I think because of the team he's at and how important he is to, to their play. But in fairness, I think he's actually the leading Premier League goal scorer for British players. Uh, I know we don't have many scoring goals right now. Where <laughs> are you, Harry Kane? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, uh, Ivan Tony, who was supposedly Southgate said on the considered list, and apparently he spoke to him about you know, don't play it because Jamaica approached him just before last group of internationals and Southgate said, don't make that decision just yet. You know, you're on the, you're on the periphery. Again, if you're going to call up someone like that, this was your opportunity. Instead, you're going to take Raheem Sterling who doesn't get on the pitch. I think he probably could get a cap, but I think it could be a one cap and done kind of situation. I think this lineup, especially at the front shows that you shouldn't always go on stats. Um, I like Dwight. McNeil and um, Jared Bowen has definitely played well for West Ham. He's exceeded expectations. Ivan Tony, if I was him, I think I'd just go and play for Jamaica. I don't think he's going to get called up by England for any real significance, especially when you've got Harry Kane in front of you, Mason Greenwood, Tammy Abraham, Calvin Pete, Pete's favourite, Patrick Bamford's in there. Yeah, he's, he's not going to get for England. As good as a player he is, I admire Ivan Tony. He's hardworking, he's powerful, he's explosive. But just, just do yourself a favour, mate. Go, go and play for Jamaica and have a good time. Yeah, exactly. I think there's one too many if everyone's fit ahead of him. Calvert-Lewin, Kane, the list, is, as you just said. I think, I think he's actually a lot older than people realise. Well, not a lot. I think he's about 25, 26, and people think he's younger than that. So um, there's players younger than him, Rashford, Greenwood, Calvert-Lewin, I think is younger than him, that are probably already above him. So it's not even like in a few years he's possibly got a chance. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's a great player. I think he's a good little player, very good goal scorer. Um, but I don't think it's one for the England squad. But I just saw those that stat 11 and thought that's interesting because I think there's one player in every kind of grouping of positions that we could or should maybe see in the squad with Trevor Chalabar. Jared Bowen could get his chance. That midfield free, just beautiful. <laughs> I'd rather see any of them than Jordan Henderson, but we'll leave that one there. To um, be, I'm going to stick up just for Jordan Henderson just a little bit, because to be fair, we've talked about him before and how his time has passed. But if you're basing it purely on form for selection right now, He's in fantastic form, so he deserves to be in the England squad. The only thing I want to say on the, on the England squad bef- before we move on to our last subject, Connor Cody and Tyrone Minks, neither of them play for their clubs, yet are in England squads. And obviously, as you said before, Southgate said he was going to pick it on form. Well, that's gone out the window. And I say this because see, we just discussed Trevor Chalabar. It, that, it's a crime that he's not in this England squad as far as I'm concerned. Tamori's not in there either. He's been destroying Syria oh, for the last two years. 
and he, and he called him up to the last squad, played him, I think, for five yeah, minutes. He played against. He played. He started the game against Andorra, and now he's out of the squad. And I think we've got three or four centre halves in this squad. John Stones hasn't been playing, and he's yeah. just scored a goal with his own face. Connor Cody, our back four: Cody Mings, Maguire, Stones. None of them are particularly on form, if playing. Harry Maguire looks like he has jitters at the minute, bless him. Stones, Cody and Mings aren't on the pitch. And if they are, haven't played well, you know, you've got... Even at, again, we said it before and I'll say it again, it's not just bias. Harry Mings is in the England squad. He's, he's been dropped for Ezri, an Ezri concert starting every game. Also English. Yep. Hello. And Pick I think the boy. I don't know. I don't know if Axel's Axel Twanzebe is English or not. I believe he's he was English, play. but I believe he has been capped by Congo. Now. Or if not, there's been discussions about him. Not that capping really Congo. matters nowadays, because unless you get about five caps, it's fucking irrelevant anyway. Well, yeah, but I think he is. What I saw something that he was either planning or has already switched alliances to play for Congo. But don't hold me to that. Uh, so the last topic of the show today we wanted to discuss goalkeepers ryan made the comment about wanted to say about the best goalkeepers we've seen i find goalkeepers very interesting because i think my view nowadays is completely different to the view of most people i still want my keeper first and foremost to be a shot stopper i'm not really bothered if he doesn't kick a ball well catch the ball stop it going in the net and then you hand i don't want do not don't want doesn't need to be a footballer i don't know if your views are the same but that's how I view goalkeepers. First and foremost, I want a decent shot stopper. Above anything else, you've got to be able to, to keep the ball out of the net. That is priority one. In terms of playing out from the back, it's an advantage if you can do it. For me personally, I actually think that all this playing out from the back has actually taken away an art form that Peter Schmeichel mastered, where he could literally ping one 70, 80 yards onto a striker's foot. The amount of goals Man United scored off of throws like that from Schmeichel was ridiculous. And I think, don't get me wrong, it's great that the likes of Allison and Edison and even uh, Ramsdale, to be fair, recently he's been pinging them about like Paul Scholes. But goalkeepers are goalkeepers for a reason. They can use their hands. So there's nothing wrong with a good old throw out wide to, to, to a winger or whatever. In terms of the best goalkeepers we've seen, this could get interesting because I think we can do it in many different ways, so it's entirely up to you. But we can look at it internationally, we can look at it just in the Premier League, or also at our clubs personally. Um, Don't want to talk about Charlton Keith. <laughs> no, are you sure? Uh, Go on, Dan. Had... Who's, who's your best goalkeeper at Charlton you've ever seen? Go on. Well, I mean, they've only had two good ones. So, Dean Kiley, Got Carson, who was fantastic for us. After that, so our goalkeepers to give you through a kind of line off the top of my head. We obviously had Sasha Illich when I was young, but I was probably too young to see him. I remember Dean Kiley. We had Thomas Myra, formerly of Everton. Scott Carson, he had them. We went Nicky Weaver, thanks for that. Then a very young Darren Randolph, who was good but raw. Rob Elliott, Carla Kimi. Bless him. Yep. Uh, ben Hamer, John Sullivan. Ben Amos, Declan Rudd, Ben Amos again, and now Craig McIvoray. Um, you've got Nick Pope. Oh, and Nick Pope well, didn't really play for us, sat on the bench. 
Stephen Henderson was the one I forgot because we've got him back. Nick Pope sat behind Stephen Henderson. So who are you um, picking as your, as, your, as your number one then? It's Dean Kiley. Cholton, Dean Kiley, all day long. I don't think it's close. Scott Carson was good for us, but, I mean, it wasn't difficult to be good because the squad was atrocious apart from Darren Bent and Scott Carson and Luke Young. It was so bad. So it, it's Dean Kiley. Even going back and looking at some old clips, he was a very, very good keeper. So it's Dean Kiley for me from Cholton. I imagine for Man United, Jaws is, is, is going to be De Gea post-operation. No. Or is it Peter Schmeichel? No. It's Edwin van der Sar. Oh, I forgot Edwin van der Sar. Yeah, that made so much sense. Edwin, Edwin van der Sar, for anybody who doesn't know who he was, was a Dutch international who started off in the young and very famous Ajax side that included Seydorf, Davids, Patrick Kluivert, Overmars, Overmars Danny Blind, Daly Blind's dad. Oh, the, the list Philip goes Koku. on and on and on. Yeah, Michael Reisinger. Oh, it was uh, it was filth. It was pure football filth. That's the only way to describe it. He then went on to Juventus, where he won a lot of stuff, just like he did at Ajax. And then, for some bizarre reason, Fulham. he showed up at the age of 33 at Fulham. Man United had lost Peter Schmeichel by this point, and we'd gone through a whole farce of goalkeepers. Tim Howard. Tim Howard. Loved Tim Howard, unfortunately. Roy Carroll. Couldn't quite do it. Roy Carroll was... Woof. That Roy Carroll's a story on its own. We had Mark Bosnich come back after he left us as a kid. And he, oh my God, he was Went nasty. No, Ed De Hoy was at Chelsea. No. Who's the one? De Gaal, De, Gaal, De Gaal? Yes. Raymond van der Hal. That's the uh, one, yeah, van der Hal. Was another solid backup. We, we had so many goalkeepers, but for some reason, I don't know why it happened, but I understand why he left Juventus because they paid out £32 million, which was then a, a world record fee for a goalkeeper in Gianluigi Buffon. And when you look at Buffon's career, you can kind of understand. I still don't think Juventus needed to make that signing because they had Edwin van der Sar, but he was, Italy, he was Italian. He was a young, hot thing. They, they wanted an Italian. That's yeah, the way they were. all right for him. So Man United, instead of signing him, he went to Fulham for a couple of years and he was amazing at Fulham. And then we signed him when he was about 35 and he was absolutely outstanding for us. He was calm. He was composed because he was Dutch. He was good with the ball at his feet. He was athletic. Everybody talks about Peter Schmeichel and Peter Schmeichel, I've said on this podcast, is a legend. He's as mad as a, as, as a box of frogs. He was either fantastic or a complete nightmare. He's always going to be in the annals of history for Man United. But for me, Van der Sar was the better goalkeeper by miles. And I know a lot of Man United fans won't won't agree with that, but that's my opinion. What about Premier League, Dan? Over the years in the Premier League, what who do you think the best goalkeeper you've seen? Well, I was just running through my head as you were saying that. And um, I was a big Petr Cech fan when he was at Chelsea, kind of pre-head injury, yep. he was very, very good. And he's probably won Courtois. I didn't mind Courtois as well, but I think Czech nicks him. Van der Sar is a very good shout. See, keepers are weird because I think it keepers are one of those things where the howlers stick in your mind necessarily more than the good performances. So sometimes it's the keeper that played for a side and you didn't speak much about Jens Lehmann. I liked Jens Lehmann when I was younger, but not not at that level that I'd put Czech van der Sar at. So I'm edging towards 
pet a check. Uh, I liked Jose Reyna, but I'm aware that he was bonkers. <laughs> so <laughs> I won't. There won't be a shout out for Fabian Barthez. He doesn't make the list. Oh, terrible! Uh, <laughs> oh, I hated that man. I cried the day we signed him for Monaco. I physically shed tears. Because so when I started watching football, kind of the the big teams keepers were. I think you lot would have had Tim Howard. Maybe, yeah, I think it would have been. Chelsea had Kudicini. He was a very underrated uh, goalkeeper. Who I quite liked. Arsenal would have had David Seaman. Just yep. progressing out of David Seaman. Because I remember Cholton beating them. Richard Wright was in goal. And uh, who was in goal for Liverpool back then? I can't remember. Oh, Jose Reyna, David James. It was before Reyna. It would have been David James, I think, and Sander Vesterveld. No? Sander Vesterveld. It was Sander Vesterveld, yeah. And then, he wasn't a bad keeper, to be fair. Uh, who's the other team? Newcastle had Shea Given, who I did like Shea Given, actually. Shea Given, Shea massively Given. underrated goalkeeper. Yeah, very good keeper. I will give my overall answer. I'm stalling, just trying to make sure, but I think it's going to be Petr Cech for me. For me as well. I think had he not suffered that head injury, I think he would have been even better than he was. He just... And he was still good. Yeah, he was so good. <laughs> Even at like 36 for Arsenal, he was still so good. He just, just gets in there above Van der Sar for me, but only on longevity. There's a few keepers that I think deserve to be in the mention. I thought Hugo Lloris, kind of beginning of his Tottenham career, was very good. Um, obviously now has dropped off a bit, but I, I liked Hugo Lloris a lot. Going wider, as in outside of the Premier League, Buffon, we've obviously mentioned him. What, what yep. goalkeeper? What, what, what a man he, absolutely he was. Monster. Still is. I'm trying to think of uh, other big keepers that I would have watched. Olivier Kahn, when I was younger. Yeah, was Oliver Kahn. Yeah, I was going to mention him. Fantastic shot stopper. I remember watching absolutely. him when I was younger. Manuel Neuer, going back five years. Yep. Fantastic goalkeeper. Um, the Spanish goalkeepers have always kind of come and gone, if you know what I mean. Um, the Barcelona have always gone with a, a player, Victor Valdez, who was not really a good goalkeeper, but could play football. I think he proved when he came to Man City, everyone went, oh, actually, no, you're shit. You that wasn't Victor Valdez. Oh, not Victor Valdez. I'm thinking... Uh... Oh, that was, that was Claudio Bravo, but he wasn't Bravo. Spanish, was he? Valdez is the other one. Valdez is okay. Valdez went to Manchester United at the end of his career. Yes, I was completely mixing them up. The other uh, one at Spain Casillas. would obviously be Casillas, yeah. I, I thought Casillas was... Uh, I hope he's doing okay. I know he was quite unwell, wasn't he, recently? Was he? Uh, he had cancer, I believe, so I hope oh, geez. he's okay. Shout um, out to him, then. But I liked Casillas as a kid, but I've seen some videos since that suggest maybe he was suspect and Real Madrid had a good defence. So, <laughs> so one you might not have heard of, his name was Victor Bayer. He was a Portuguese goalkeeper. He was very, very good in the late, late, uh, mid to late nineties. David Seaman, I think, deserves a shout out. Um, yeah, maybe him. not as good a goalkeeper as people thought he was, but still there's, pretty solid. There's one name that I always see my generation say, and as someone who goes back to watch a lot of old football, I, I call them out on it. I know he was part of a very good Milan side and a very good Brazil side, but Dida was not a great keeper. No, he wasn't. Uh, my <laughs> my favourite goalkeeper from Italy overall, there's been a few. Sebastian Fry was a bit of a nutter, but he was a good goalkeeper. My favourite one was Gianluca Pagliuca, who was in uh, Inter Milan in the 
mid 90s, about 93, 94, 95, somewhere around there. He was the weird goalkeeper. He wore short sleeves instead of long sleeves. He wasn't the biggest goalkeeper, but he was madly athletic. Francesco Toldo was another one, uh, looking another over the years. Inter Milan as well, wasn't it? Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Nigel Martin as well. I don't know if you watched him play during Nigel. your time. Everton. I, I think he did, was Leeds slash Everton. Yep. But Massively my, good goalkeeper. Underrated Paul by Robinson. Miles. Paul Robinson. So I just remembered Paul Robinson. Yep. Yeah, like Paul you, Robinson. You named him in our All England. Uh, yes. Well, because my period of England is shocking. I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to think of who else has been. The, the other one that I want to give mention for today and recent years, Yano Black. Um, yeah, is, is a very good keeper. Donnarumma probably deserves a mention too. I don't, but I don't... I, I'm a but I am a big old black fan. I'm trying to think of other keepers back when I was a bit younger. Um, one I will give a shout out. It, I'm, I'm not sure if he's still playing now, but he was at Inter Milan, and that was uh, Handanovic. He is still he there. Is yeah. a very good goalkeeper. Yeah, I've is. seen some excellent goalkeepers during my my time watching Italian football. Uh, Angelo Peruzzi was another one who was at Juve and I think it was Lazio, I think, who was very, very good. Um, but Handanovic, I think, has probably been one of the best goalkeepers in Syria for quite a few years now. Obviously, there was, Donnarumma was there at Milan, but he's now gone. Um, and I've got to give a shout out, actually, to Edward Mendy at Chelsea. Oh, we yeah. talked about him recently and I, I openly said that I wasn't convinced by him and, and that he would win you matches. But some of the saves he's been pulling out of his rear end the last couple of months, holy moly, he's he's really turning into a special goalkeeper. He genuinely right. is. So before we go, um, we're going to play a quick game that I came up with. I haven't briefed Ryan, so oh, this is fun. As we go along, we're just gonna we're gonna float it out there. I forgot to tell Ryan. I had actually planned it, and I've got it on my phone, but I didn't tell Ryan. I've we're gonna play. Truly dropped in it here. What's going on? We're gonna play start bench sell. Okay. Oh, okay. This should be fun. I like this game. I'm going to give you three goalkeepers. You start one, you bench one, and you sell one. I like this game. Okay, let's do this. We'll do kind of... We'll do uh, from the same era. Yeah. So we're not mixing eras. So we'll start with modern day. I'll give you Edison, Allison, and Jan Black. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wow. I would start Edison... I would bench Oblak, so I'd have to sell Allison. It's so close. There is not much in it at all. Uh, it re- they're really... Jesus, that one is tough. Well, um, that's the thing. We're doing good keepers. <laughs> Oblak, for me, is, I think, probably the best shot stopper out of the three. But in terms of all-around performer, I think Edison just, just edges it for me. What about you, Dan? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd go the exact same as you said. Edison's all-round game keeps him, but I'm a big Oblak fan. That was um, tough. <laughs> but that was tough. Uh, I was going to be nice and throw in Edward Mendy, but I thought, no, I'll make it harder. So <laughs> come up with three keepers on the spot and we'll have another round. Oh, Jesus. Right, well, it's going to have to be from my era, I suppose, from like Euro 96 make sure time. I was born. Euro 96. Uh, that's not fair, you see, then. Okay. <laughs> um, do like mid uh, early 2000s <laughs> oh, this, this is going to be tough so it's going to have to be Peter Cech Edwin van der Sar he started 
and Pepe Reina. In that order, start, bench, sell. Okay. Uh, start, start, <laughs> start, better check. I think I've spent the last 10 minutes telling you why. Edwin van der Sar, as you said, is right behind Petr Cech. And to do it at the age he did it at United as well, fair play to him. And as I said, I liked Jose Reina, but slightly bonkers, which affected him a bit too often. But here we go. I've got one for you. Go on. Jersey Dudek. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, go on. Jer- Jersey Dudek, Fabian Bartes. <laughs> and... <laughs> Roy Carroll. Oh, boy. <laughs> right. I'm selling Fabian Bartes. Couldn't stand him. He was terrible. He thought he was a striker playing in goal. The bloke was a nutter. Who do nutters, I start? To be fair. Who do I start? <laughs> Jeez. Um, I'm going to bench it's... Carroll and start Jersey Dudek. Jesus I think Christ. that's what I'd do as well. Any it's Man tough. United fans listen to this, I'm just about to get killed because I picked a Liverpool goalkeeper over a Man United goalkeeper. But oof, I, I can't. Yeah. Carroll was... He was a good, solid deputy. He came to us very young. And he went on to have a lot of problems in his career. And it, it's quite a genuinely sad story when you look at the, some of the things he suffered. But yeah, out of those three... Jersey <laughs> Dude, I think, is probably the best of the three. Um, right, I've got another one. If I, if if you, unless you have three, you want to throw. No, no, me. go on, keep going. I, I will do my best. So this is a one I'm intrigued with. Okay, so in their in their pomp or in their prime, as you want to say, Robert Green, <laughs> right? Joe Hart or Paul Robinson. Paul Robinson starting. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Joe Hart's being sold because that bloke is a lunatic. Um, so Rob Green makes the bench. That that was not odd. Um, no? No, it wasn't. So let's do this interestingly of, of your era. Jordan Pickford, Joe Hart, David, Joe Hart's David James. Already. Joe Hart's gone at home. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's made you rethink it, isn't it? My David James or David James overall? David James overall. It's a hard one, isn't it, between Joe Hart and David James? So I think Pickford starts. Oh, I think Who are you putting on David. the bench? I think I'd bench David James and then bugger off Joe Hart. Because <laughs> um, Joe Hart, as you rightly said, is... He's one interesting fella. To be honest, um, it was a bit of a weird one with Joe Hart because he started his career so well. And then I think it was, was it just before Pep arrived? It was uh, Euro, two, Euro 2016. He seemed to just... He lost remember, the plot. He was remember, so uh, hyped that, that, up. And There's that video of when England are losing to Iceland and the ball goes into the crowd. And Joe Hart is losing his shit at a ball boy. Yeah, to get, the, to get the ball back. And I remember sitting there and going, oh, you're not I, with us. <laughs> I even remember seeing him in the tunnel before the games and he was like proper, overly hyped up. I was just like, who put what in your drink? Because you've just lost it. You're bouncing off the walls like there's nobody, nobody's business. 
So yeah, yeah, I think that's oof, that's that wasn't one I enjoyed. That I won't. Yeah, that's, not, <laughs> that's not a nice three. Okay, let's uh, let's go again. We'll have uh, Manuel Neuer, twenty ten ish. Yep. Olivier Kahn, two thousand. Right. Yep. Petr Cech, two thousand and four, two thousand and five. That's tough. <laughs> that's Start- three very good keepers. Start Petr Cech, bench Manuel Neuer, and sell Oliver Kahn. Because Oliver Kahn, although he was a very good goalkeeper, he, there, there was an edge to him that wasn't always pleasant. And, and it, it really put me off him. One last thing before we wrap it up, because uh, it's getting quite late. It's fireworks, so we want to enjoy the fireworks. I have a question. I often, well, not often, I've wondered... Is Gianluigi Buffon the best goalkeeper from the last 20 years? I think the last last 20 years. Well, that's since 2000. You know, if you're looking at the names we've mentioned, the Olivia Kahn's, Emmanuel Neuer's, obviously Gianluigi Buffon is the one that's lasted the longest and probably played at the highest level for the longest amount of time. Would he be number one or would you still give it to, say, Petr Cech as the best in the last 20 years? As, as in the best seat, like if you had everyone at their peak, their best performance, is it Petr Cech? Is it Buffon? Is it someone else? Because Buffon, obviously longevity would be Buffon. But I'm saying one, you pick one person from their prime. Is it Petr Cech? Is it Buffon? Is it someone else? Gee. For me, I, I think it's probably Petr Cech. <laughs> um, there's been some good keepers that I've enjoyed watching that we've listed. Uh, but for me, yeah, pet check. I think Buffon's someone that I idolise, but uh, I think it's check. It's really tough because you've got actually some really good goalkeepers coming to the end of their career. Because if you're talking 99 onwards, that was the year Man United won the treble and Peter Schmeichel was immense that year. And it was his final year before he left us to go to Portugal. Uh, you've got Peter Cech, you've got uh, Van der Sar in his pomp which is, again, another real top goalkeeper. Wow. This is tough. Gianluigi Buffon's definitely up there. I think he probably, for me... Top three, maybe. For me, I think Gianluigi Buffon gets the edge. He maybe wouldn't have won it for me had Peter Cech not been injured. Yeah, that's... Such a severe injury because... That's... uh, he had his head cut open, cracked open like a coconut. There's, there's no other words for it. It was horrific. I think. Yes. Yeah. Sad, isn't it? I, th- I think. I think Manuel Neuer's possibly in with a shout had he not suffered a lot of injuries around his mid thirties. Um, just, just, to, just to clarify, no room for Fabian Barthez. No, absolutely not. Um, he's, he's, he's in the bargain basement bin for for goalkeepers in my book. There's so many goalkeepers, so many underrated. Like you said, Shea Given. I was such a big fan of Shea Given. I know people aren't going to talk about him in, in the level of a Gianluigi Buffon. Or I thought he was a very good player. In fairness, to, he was a uh... fantastic goalkeeper. He genuinely was. I think he, I remember him at Newcastle and at Sunderland. He was amazing. And I always wondered why Blackburn sold him because I just couldn't fathom it. Uh, and I often wonder why Man United didn't buy him. I know he wasn't the tallest of goalkeepers, but he was a very good goalkeeper. But I think Manuel Neuer is definitely in that conversation. 
Van der Sar is, Peter Cech is. I think you're probably right. I think Buffon over the legacy. I think the only thing that might slightly taint his legacy is the dodgy dealings that were going on at Juventus. Juventus. That saw them relegated, if I remember rightly, and had titles stripped from them. Yeah. Um, But he stayed. That's the one, the other thing. Him and David Trezeguet stayed. But in terms of sheer talent, I think it's probably got to be Buffon. Cool. So, of course, if you have an opinion on goalkeepers, we would absolutely love to hear it. So, email us at footballfunderspod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Football Funders Podcast. Head over to our Facebook, which is Football Funders Podcast, which is, um, that's Ryan's baby. I won't, I won't lie to people. Ryan runs it and has, has done really well. We have live streams. It's through him. Of course, a massive thank you to our sponsors, uh, Put the Proper Bloats Club, uh, a mental health. They go and walk uh, to, for you to discuss. Uh, Ryan, you've been on one, so take it away with your explanation of uh, the Proper Bloats Club. I was actually on one on Wednesday. Uh, lads, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, if you don't want to talk to your family and... I know us blokes are a bit dodgy about going to the doctors as well. So if you don't want to do that, go to www.thepropablokesclub.co.uk. Have a look on there and see if any of their mental health walks are on there. I went one on, went to one on Wednesday because I really needed to get out of the house and really needed to talk. And it's, you don't necessarily have to talk about your problems. Even if you just want to break away from your surroundings and your normality and just just get take a take a breather take a breath of fresh air and just get away from everything that's weighing you down go on the website have a look see if they're in your area trust me you won't regret it it is definitely a good laugh and the guys there you can just have a laugh if you just need some humor to to brighten your day you can just have a laugh we end up down the pub afterwards down at our local at the dial archie in woolwich Go and enjoy yourselves and and just let some steam off. People are happy to vent because nine times out of ten, fellas, we're all going through the same stuff. Yep, Uh, and our other sponsors, uh, Let Us Talk Mental Health, was created to get people talking and opening up about mental health in a very relaxed, non-judgmental way. They are a football club that has been built by Jamie, who we will have on at some point soon, was maybe coming on today, but sadly... Uh, we didn't quite make that happen. That's that's on me, though, not him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're a football club. If you are in the South London slash Kent region, let us talk FC have a, a game on the 19th of November. It's a 7.30 kickoff against People's FC. All money raised will go to Mind Charity. Tickets are £5 for an adult, £3 for kids. Uh, I'm involved. Um, I will be the, the I'm assistant manager for the club, but also I'll be working the turnstiles on the day. So come say hello. If you're in the region, we have a, a nice game of football. Quite competitive, but as we said, a nice laugh. And also, big news for next week's podcast. Make sure you're tuned in for this. We are going to have a guest. It will definitely be me and Ryan, possibly Pete, and a guest. The guest will be from Her Game 2. If you don't follow the Her Game 2 movement, Her Game 2 is basically an organisation run by women who are talking about their experiences in football and how we can make things better for, for the game, not only for women, uh, online abuse, sexism in football, racism in football. Their aims are to create awareness, educate, research, champion women in football, create strong relationship with clubs. And we're going to have someone from their team 
with us. If you want to follow their Twitter pages at Hurt Game Two, same on Instagram. Look at their videos, follow along. They've recently joined in with quite some football league clubs. Um, you know, pushing their 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 fight. Uh, I've seen it at uh, Sutton, who are in League Two. Uh, Bristol Rovers, Newport. So some football league clubs involved. We're going to have a member of the team. We don't know which one yet. We're just trying to confirm that. Next Thursday. So look forward to that. Uh, but as for today's show, Ryan, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dan. I've of course been Dan. And we will see you next week with our guest and maybe the old fella himself. Yeah.